All right, welcome to episode two of the Purple and Bold podcast, our podcast here at the Daily News Record dedicated to discussing James Madison athletics. I'm Cody Elliott, the sports editor here at the DNR. Joining me today are Shane Metlin, our JMU men's and women's basketball beat writer, along with our JMU football beat writer, Noah Fleischman. Gentlemen, the transfer portal continues to be a valuable tool for the Dukes, um, especially on the, on the gridiron with the football team. Um, Noah recently wrote about Norfolk State's transfer cornerback, Devin Coles, who's coming. Um, that's not the only one. There's, there's plenty of others. But uh, what are your thoughts on some of the more recent additions? Obviously, we touched a lot on the quarterbacks last week, but some of the other additions that have, that have come in the past week or so. Yeah, Devin Coles is one of two guys they added to the transfer portal in the secondary, and it's kind of a position group that they lost a few guys in. They lost three of their four starters in the secondary from the North Dakota State game to graduation and their eligibility running out. And so Devin Coles is a guy who, in his freshman year at Norfolk State, he had five interceptions, kind of picking up where he left off in high school um, in Highland Springs. His senior year, he had five interceptions. So ten interceptions through two years, and then last year he just had one. So a little bit of downturn, but now he's kind of taking that next step and joining JMU at kind of at the FBS level. Yeah, and you talk about his stats, too. A lot of times if a guy has those big interception numbers one year they just don't get the ball thrown their way much the next year and you, you'll see a drop off not necessarily means that uh, he's playing any worse if his interception numbers go down it seems like you know it, it seems like a pretty solid pickup for them yeah uh the Howland Springs connection is interesting we talked about it last week with uh Antoine Wells um obviously a name obviously he's he's leaving James you and going to South Carolina the wide receiver um but you mentioned Mike Green in your story and uh, you know, I, I, as I mentioned last week, Highland Springs is a school I think you know pretty much any college around the Commonwealth would want to be on on good terms with. Um, you know, is, is there anything to say about uh, the connection there now that we're starting to see between Highland Springs and JMU? Yeah, Highland Springs is really one of those powerhouse schools in Richmond where they had four state four straight state championships there, um, and they're kind of a team that is starting to give more kids to JMU, which is something that you like to see because they perennially have guys going Division One. They have. Most years they have a couple guys going to Virginia Tech, a couple guys leaving the state. So if you can kind of get your name in there and battle the Virginia Techs and UVAs in that in that Richmond area and really Highland Springs being your starting point, it would help kind of branch out from the rest. But, I mean, Devin talked about how Mike Green and, and Antoine Wells have really set the standard for Highland Springs, you know, alumni at JMU, and he kind of wants to continue that with Mike Green being All-American and then Antoine Wells just with his record-setting season last year. Yeah, Jarius uh, Ramonique, and I may have butchered that name, but uh, you know he's another transfer uh, safety uh, uh, for the defense uh, coming to JMU next year. Um, was at Arkansas State for three seasons, played 31 games, 11 starts, 129 total tackles, 7.5 tackles for loss, three interceptions, 13 pass breakups. So obviously, um, a lot of success there with Arkansas State. Um, you know, what can you tell us about him, Noah, and and kind of what he will bring uh, to JMU next season? Yeah, he joins JMU kind of from another Sunbelt team, which will help JMU secondary knowing that he's already played at that FBS level and kind of coming and really helping bolster that, that secondary. Um, he's also a kind of guy that's you talked about it. He, he has a lot of tackles, not many interceptions, but he finds his way to the ball and, and can make the play. But kind of something that we I touched on last week was just his off-the-field stuff. Really interesting guy who has a really big business focus in life, and he kind of has used the NIL to kind of uh, to really to – really play on that and continue that business um, way yeah is that that's something that that's been interesting to follow across the college landscape is the nil developments um is that something you know both of you guys can kind of touch on this is just you know with jmu athletics right now and the athletes that are in in the, for the different teams are you seeing a lot of that are you seeing guys that are are guys and girls that are trying to get involved with this and, and trying to take advantage of these rules um you know what, what are your thoughts on that and, and how much are you maybe going to continue to see that to grow moving forward 
Yeah. I'm maybe a little bit surprised. I haven't seen as much of it at JMU as I kind of anticipated um, when Greg uh, Medea was still here. We, we kind of hit on the NIL rules and everything pretty hard when it was brand new. And, you know, there, there are a lot of players uh, to various sports doing different things, but you haven't seen anything, I guess, really remarkable around JMU. You haven't seen, you know, necessarily. Um, you know, initially, we were wondering, hey, well, will Cole Johnson, like, have a dealer, uh, a deal with a car dealership or something, you know, like, <laughs> could it get crazy here? And so far, it's just, you know, there's opportunities for kids to do their own thing, their own businesses, and not have to worry so much about, you know, if they're crossing any lines or anything. But you haven't seen the major sponsorships around here quite quite yet. Maybe maybe that'll change as people get more used to it. Yeah, you mentioned Cole Johnson, and I guess <laughs> that leads right into what we should talk about now. Um, actually, while we're recording, I just came across that Cole Johnson – um, has been chosen as the CFPA FCS National Performer of the Year. Um, the, the organization just announced just a few minutes ago. So um, Cole Johnson, the uh, the JMU quarterback, Virginia Beach native, obviously a uh, huge, huge season for JMU, uh, 287 of 422 passing for 3,779 yards, 41 touchdowns, four interceptions, um, also had six rushing touchdowns as well, and he's getting ready now for the NFL uh, draft, um, going through different camps and I believe playing a couple of games and stuff like that. So, uh, record-breaking quarterback there for the Dukes. Um, another honor for him. Um, you know, thoughts deserve deserving of that award. I would say. Um, what do you What do you guys think? Yeah, he's the second JMU quarterback to win that. Brian Shore won that in 2016 when the Dukes won the national championship. But if you look at this award and kind of the the quarterbacks that mainly have been all quarterbacks that have won it. Um, some names that stick out. There's a lot of there's a couple NFL guys on there with with Trey Lance now with the 49ers. Easton Stick was with. The Chargers, and then you had Taylor Heineke from ODU, who who starred with the Redskins or Washington football team this year. Excuse me. So I mean, it's a pretty it's a pretty big time award from the win after really sitting at JMU, being the primary backup for three to four years before really getting the starting job um, in the spring, and then took over in the fall and really made it made JMU and took a, a big run with them. Yeah, I say I say very deserving on Cole's part. He you know obviously has had a, a huge season, um, and and like Noah said, a guy who came. <clears throat> probably one of the rare people at this point who sticks around and sits behind two other guys as a starter before he gets his opportunity stays where he is stays put and then sees it pays off that way um so you know i guess congrats to cole uh for another big award but this is you know probably probably the most prestigious one he's gotten so far this season to go on top of all all american honors and everything yeah absolutely i mean a big big time award for him um no winner was was selected in 2020 because of the the shortened spring season. Um, but yeah, like you like Noah said, Trey Lance before that, Chandler Burst from Kennesaw State, Easton Stick, uh, North Dakota State. So some big big names on there, and uh, obviously looking forward to seeing what Cole can accomplish at the next level. Um, you know, back to the transfer portal. Obviously, you know Cole's position is one that that they're planning to or they 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 use the portal to try to fill um, potentially uh, with Tonsateo coming over, but. Um, are there any other names or any other positions that you're specifically looking at uh, for JMU um, in the next couple of weeks or, or next couple of months that you could see them potentially trying to get another uh, transfer portal name in, or, or do you think they might be done for a while? What, what are your thoughts on that? I, I think that they're they're done for now in a sense of for coming into into the spring season because the semester is starting this week. But I do think that I mean. Coach Signetti talked about how they're going to add more at the um, end of spring camp. So we'll, we'll, we'll expect a few more then, kind of when those guys at the other schools go through what they their camps and then they realize that they want a, a change of scenery. But I think that for now, 
they're probably going to slow down a lot. We're not going to have three in the span of three days like we had a couple weeks ago. But I definitely think that they're busy in the portal. They're going to find guys that they want. And I know there are a few guys that they're looking at that are making the decisions in February. So it's going to be kind of interesting to see that around that time during National Signing Day if they can pick up a few more. Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting to watch the portal during the spring because <clears throat> it's a completely different situation as, you know, signing day comes around at the same time every year for everyone when it comes to high school guys and everything. But almost every program's got their spring ball going on at a different time. And guys are going to come in, they're going to say, okay, I'm not number one on the depth chart like I hoped or expected <laughs> to be. And then they're going to start looking for uh, new opportunities. And so it could be like, it could be a, a you know, like Noah said, there was time when there was three transfers in three days probably won't happen that way it'll probably be sort of gradual depending on what what time of the year teams end up having their spring games yeah and, and, and just a couple more jamie notes uh in terms of football i mean um this is that time of year where the the sid teams are coming out um the virginia sports information directors uh teams across different sports and uh football <laughs> racked up the awards yesterday um obviously ethan ratke uh to no surprise was uh named the state special teams player of the year um, and then Antoine Wells Jr., who obviously, like I mentioned, recently transferred to South Carolina, he was named the Offensive Rookie of the Year. And then Kurt Signetti, the head football head coach, was the state's coach of the year. And that's the second time in three years that he's earned that honor. So um, big, big honors there for JMU. Um, they had 14 All-State nominees, or honorees, I should say. Um, and, and Radke, Wells, uh, Bryce Carter, Mike Green, Liam Fornado, Nick Kidwell, Greg Ross, Chris Thornton, all on the first team. And then... Uh, Kelvin Azanema, uh, Diamante Tucker Dorsey, Chris. Anybody want to help me out there? <laughs> Chris Chukwunike. I'm not even going to try that to act like I got that right because I definitely, I, yeah, I definitely butchered that one. There's a reason why we write for a paper. Um, Cole Johnson, uh, Lachelle Palmer, and Isaac Wukwu are all on the second team. So, like I said, plenty of honors there. 14 uh, All-State led the entire state. Uh, UVA had 13, um, including Brennan Armstrong, who was named the state um, offensive player of the year. So, uh, big-time honors for JMU. And I guess it's finally looking like we're ready to turn the page on the season. It seems like these honors have been rolling in for quite a while now. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that's a, I think that kind of is representative of the type of year that JMU had. Yeah, I mean, if you look at all of the All-American lists that keep coming, that felt like kept coming out like every week, there was always a Jamie player on it. I mean, Ethan Ratke is a consensus All-American, so it's no surprise to see him on that list. And you just see a lot of the key contributors the Dukes had um, this year. But it's finally probably one of the last awards that we'll see come out, including the Cole Johnsons today, and then we can kind of turn the page and get ready for for spring ball and then turning looking forward to, to next season and speaking of turning the page we're going to uh, move on to hoops now um there's been plenty of basketball stuff going on in the, in the past week uh, plenty of storylines there um let's start with the women this week uh you know we talked last week and they had, they were they were seemingly uh were, were kind of trying to find their groove or starting to find their groove they had won three in a row uh two big caa wins and i'd asked you know if they had a chance at, at being a contender and um, they, they, they followed it up with two losses, two difficult losses, uh, in the past week. So, um, Shane, in the, in those two losses, what have you seen? What's been their main issue here that that's kind of caused some hiccups? Uh, it's been shooting and, you know, you look at those two losses, they don't necessarily knock them out of the CAA race at this point, because that's probably the two toughest road games of the season going to Towson and Delaware. Um, not, not very many teams are going to go those places and win, but it's very disappointing for JMU because they went into both of those games and gave themselves a chance to win and couldn't get it done. I mean, especially you look at Delaware here, 
that game yesterday. It was just um, pretty incredible how poorly they shot. And when it seems like they're getting out of their shooting slump at times, and then they'll come back with a game like that where, you know, once again, couldn't hit anything from three. They were missing shots in the lane. They were missing free throws. Like, if they could have just shot mediocre <laughs> from the free throw line and made a couple more layups, they'd have won that game. And, you know, you'd be talking about, okay, they won at Delaware, took down an undefeated team on the road. You know, they're in the mix there with, you know, the Delawares, the Drexels, the Towsons at the top of the league. Now they've got to play their way back into the conversation by, you know, winning some games at home, winning against lesser teams on the road, which is not easy to do in this conference. But, you know, <clears throat> they still look like a team that could compete, but it's just, you know, they they missed so many opportunities this year to really make a statement where they've played well enough in some regards but just can't put the ball in the hole. I was going to say, I know you haven't had a chance to talk to Sean O'Regan uh, since since yesterday's loss, but, uh, I mean, is is – there any cure to that or is this something to just a matter of making more shots is there anything that that he's pointed to that needs to change i mean what, what has he said about it he's pointed to some certain things and they've done some of them better like you know early in the season he was lamenting not getting offensive rebounds now jalen caradine and uh anna goodman have both done a little bit of that it's not the same as the, from their heyday a couple of years ago when they had a very experienced roster and you know Kamaya Smalls was the best player in the CAA and probably been the best player the CAA has seen in a few years. I would still say maybe Kayla Cooper-Williams was the most valuable player on that team because she did so many things. She didn't get a lot of all-league honors because she averaged six points a game or whatever it was. But she would create eight more points a game from second-chance opportunities for the team, and she would take away you know, six to eight eight points from the other team just from you know changing shots or blocking shots they miss that a lot because their best rebounder right now is a 510 guard who, who does an incredible job in Jalen Caradine but you know even as you know a former high school high jump star she's not blocking a lot of shots just because she doesn't have the same kind of size so they miss having that kind of player a lot who covered up for a lot of bad shooting nights a few years ago when they were really good but at the same time, they're shooting much worse than they have since I started covering this team a few years ago. And at some point, you know, we're in mid-January. You know, they say you are what your record says you are. I think at some point, you know, you are what your shooting percentage says you are. Even you know, when you see these teams see these teams practice and they seem to have shooters that are just not making shots right now. You get to this point in the season, you're shooting this poorly. Maybe you're just a bad shooting team and not necessarily in a slump. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at some point, you know, you are, like you said, who you are. So, um, and moving on from the women, I mean, the men um, have, have had a, a up-and-down week themselves. Um, recently uh, lost to Elon. Um, they obviously had the, the historic comeback win on the road against William & Mary before that, I believe, on Saturday, uh, where they were down, I believe, 23 in the first half and ended up coming back all the way back and winning in overtime. Um, so a lot of emotions, a lot of um, I'm sure a whirlwind of, of things throughout the week, but uh, you know, I guess first on the historic win. I mean, uh, I think if you watch the first first half of the first half, and even in, in the entire first 20 minutes, I mean, you wouldn't have expected JMU to be in the position they were. Um, thoughts on that game and, and the comeback win there? Yeah, they played it's just extremely poorly the first 10 minutes of that game, <laughs> and William and Mary was doing some things well and everything, but. JMU is a is a much more athletic, much more talented team than William and Mary. Just kind of the bottom line of that, 
And so once they kind of cut it down to 10 and made a little run late in the first half to get within striking distance, I kind of thought they had a good chance to win that game at that point just because, you know, they were the better team. But, you know, they, they've got to kind of knock it off with the slow starts. Uh, they, they've done so well in the second half this season, I think maybe, you know, they don't don't come out with maybe even as much urgency as they need to in some of these games. And, you know, they saw it again the next game going to Elon, falling behind like that again. But Elon's got a lot better athletes on their roster. They're deeper. And, you know, they couldn't make that same kind of comeback against Elon, even though they they cut it to a few possessions and seemed like they were getting close to cutting it to single digits a few times. Like, you just can't mess around like that against a more talented Elon team. And that's the way it's going to be against most teams in the CAA. I would say they're going to, they're going to need to come out with a little more urgency and play better to start the game. Even if they're not blowing teams out right away, you, you got to be hanging around and then make your, your patented second-half rally the way they've done pretty much all season. Yeah, I mean, they started that even in non-conference play early in the year. Um, you know, I think a lot of people coming into the year, everybody just said, you know, Jamie's the defending CAA champion. Um, they're kind of the favorite again. And I think, you know, even probably Dukes fans as well just expected this team to kind of just build off what they, they started last year and continue to roll. And, and they faced a little bit more adversity, I'd say, than, than we kind of expected. Uh, just when you look, just based off the eye test, I mean, this is just a – purely you know speculation but which team do you kind of think I mean when you compare this year's team to last year's team you know do you think this team is a little better a little worse do you think they're they're right about where that team was at this point how do you kind of see those two stacking up I think at their bet on their best day they're a little bit better than last year's team but what they don't have is the Matt Lewis the you know clear-cut CAA player of the year who was you know your kind of go-to guy and you knew what you had from him every night but they're deeper They've got more guys who are kind of that all-league caliber type of guy, even if they're not the uh, best player in the league. And so they spread the ball out more. They, they, you know, have guys. They have multiple guys who are willing to take that, you know, shot in the second half when they need it, which is, you know, probably part of the reason they've played so well down the stretch in a lot of games is, you know, Votto Morse is not afraid to shoot it in any circumstance. He's just (laughs) that kind of guy. Um Guys like Chuck Falden and Takal Molson have, you know, been through big moments, big games. Um, so they've got that kind of a, that kind of experience, that kind of depth, maybe more than they had last year. But um, the, the the peak of the talent probably isn't quite as high because you know Matt Lewis is a guy who's, you know, kind of on the verge of getting to the NBA, playing in the G League right now and doing doing okay there, and um, was probably the most talented player outside of, you know, Ron Curry or somebody like that Jamie's had in several years, maybe maybe more than a decade. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, and, and now they have they have another big one coming up uh, on Thursday night um, against UNC Wilmington. Obviously, Mark Byington's alma mater. Uh, that, that's a pretty big game for them, I would say. Uh, you know, where does this one, this one stack up for you in terms of just how important it is for them as they try to kind of keep their head above water here in the, in the CAA early on? It, it, it's super important, it's partially because they played so well at home outside of you know that first game back from a 29-day COVID pause. <laughs> they, they've uh, won every game at home, and you know they, they really had a good chance to win that one against a good Hofstra team. And you know, I've mentioned this with you know some other people: taking care of business at home, winning the vast majority of your home games, and then playing above average on the road is a pretty good recipe for success in a balanced league like the CAA. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe 
getting a little bit back to normal as far as like they should have some students there on Thursday night. Um, it's been it was a little bit more of a dead atmosphere than they've had early in the season for those two games uh, to start CAA play. So it it'll be fun to see if they get a good crowd out there again because it really has just been it's been a significant home court advantage for them early in the season, which is not something Jimmy Muse had in a long time. <laughs> you know, back to the electric zoo days and the convo <clears throat> that seems like a long, long time ago. And it, people seem to be really excited to get back out there and support this team. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see if getting students back in town will make a difference because Jimmy's been t- been tough to beat at home when they've had everything going their way. Absolutely. Well, JMU uh, men are scheduled to face uh, UNC Wilmington uh, Thursday night at 7 p.m. at the bank. Um, but moving on, uh, we'll touch on a couple of their um, you know, non-football and basketball notes here from, from JMU. Uh, the softball team, it's hard to believe, but that season is coming up soon. Um, they were ranked number 25 in the D1, D1 softball preseason poll on Tuesday. Um, they lost seven seniors from last year's team that obviously went to the Women's College World Series. Um, so they, they, they have a lot to replace. Um, we obviously know Odyssey Alexander, Kate Gordon, some of those big names, but um, still some high expectations there. Um, I thought it was interesting. Number 24 was actually Liberty, who uh, Jamie faces in the Liberty Classic on March 4th. Um, and some other ranked opponents included Florida at number 5. They played them on February 27th. Um, and then Arkansas was at number 8. They played them on March 12th. Um, Jamie opens its season on February 19th against UConn at the Charlotte Invitational. So um, some interesting notes there. But uh, softball team, I mean, they they still have those high expectations. Um, you know, Shane, you, you're someone who spent a lot of time around that team. I mean, what do you kind of expect going into this year um, with so many losses from a year ago? Yeah, it's going to be a different look for a team. But they're, they're still got a lot of talent. It's just going to be younger talent. And, you know, you'll see if they have the same kind of turnover they've had Throughout the years, you know, starting with uh, Mickey Dean when he was a head coach, and you know Lauren Laporte was his assistant doing a lot of the recruiting. They've kind of, you know, cliche to say, but they reloaded rather than you know rebuilt. Um, you know, going back from Jalen Ford as pitching, and you know you come up with another All American locally, Megan Good, and you know then it's Odyssey Alexander, and now uh, Alyssa Humphrey was basically unhittable NCAA play last year. Um, she didn't get the postseason recognition nationally because Odyssey pitched almost every inning in the NCAA <laughs> tournament. But, um, you know, I don't think they have to worry too much about pitching, especially against uh, league play. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how they do against, you know, some of the you, – you highlighted it's another tough non-conference schedule for them, which is what they want because, you know, <clears throat> their expectations go well beyond the CAA at this point as a program. And – will go beyond the Sun Belt when they're in that conference. They are going to expect to be in the NCAA tournament every year and get to uh, Super Regionals and you know, the occasional World Series like they did. Absolutely. And, and the last note I wanted to touch on was uh, just Jake Lowry, a former JMU baseball standout, um, You know, played here, was a CAA Player of the Year in 2011, um, has a lot of records for JMU and is in the top ten in a lot of different categories as well. I mean, um, obviously, just one of the better players in program history uh, was named the uh, the new manager of the Fredericksburg Nationals, um, the low double A affiliate of the Washington Nationals, um, or low A affiliate, I'm sorry, of the Washington Nationals um, on Tuesday. Uh, it seems like he's had a very quick rise to the um, through the ranks. Um, just one year of managerial experience um, before this. So, uh, Noah, thoughts on on Lowry getting the promotion and um, kind of his future? 
Yeah, he was like a career minor leaguer making it all the way to AAA and then just couldn't make that next step. But I think toward the end of his playing career, he was kind of like almost a player coach, kind of getting that coaching experience at that rate. And then last year was coaching down in the kind of the complex league where it's just the really young guys, the draft picks, they come in. And so I think he really got some good experience there. So now he gets his first like full season team and we'll see what he can do there. But definitely a quick rise through the Nationals organization, which kind of points that they they have some young promise in him and if he can kind of just work his way up he maybe can reach a major league staff one day maybe that's as a manager or just as a different coach just within the major league staff yeah yeah pretty cool uh moment for him so uh short short episode this week uh, not a lot to touch on with with some different things going on uh football has seemed to slow down for the for the moment um we know it'll pick up uh quickly um and it can change daily obviously but uh spring season will be coming up and then we've obviously got uh, baseball and softball coming up as well, but um, we're we're locked in with the with the hoops teams right now and um, kind of waiting to see how both of them fare through the rest of their uh, conference schedules. So um, that's all for this week. Uh, I'm Cody Elliott. Uh, this is Shane Metlin and, and Noah Fleischman, and um, we'll talk to you guys next week.